Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Calling all surgical education junkies, Behind the Knife is looking to add two new fellows to our team. We are thrilled to be adding these positions. We've got so much great content in the pipeline that we don't even know what to do with ourselves. I'm talking big-time projects that are going to make a big impact on surgical education. We've got specialty oral board review, medical student education, digital education research, and a trauma surgery video atlas, just to name a few. We're looking for a couple of enterprising surgical residents to take the bull by the horns and spearhead one of these major projects, not to mention help with the podcast, video, and other ongoing, exciting, behind-the-knife goodness. We are offering a two-year fellowship starting July 2022 and ending June 2024. Only residents beginning their two-year research time will be considered, and the residents, institutions, and the mentor must approve of this fellowship. Check out the show notes for the application link. All applications are due May 25th. Okay, welcome back everybody from the colorectal surgery team from Montreal. In today's topic, we'll be discussing Lynch syndrome. It's quite a complicated topic, but we'll try to make it as clear as possible. We'll guide you through the epidemiology, the manifestation, the challenges of the diagnosis itself, and also we'll discuss management and follow-up associated with Lynch syndrome. So for this clinical challenging episode, we're going to review two different cases that we actually treated here in our institution. So let's start now with our first case. So Maher, our resident, you're in my office and you have a young 32-year-old patient with a referral for erectile cancer. The biopsy showed adenocarcinoma. He had a colonoscopy and he had no other abnormalities on colonoscopy. When you do the rectal exam, he has a rectal mass and uh, it is located at around six centimeters and in fact it's, it's quite fixed on the sacrum. You have the CEA level, which is normal, the uh, distant metastasis workup for uh, secondary lesion is negative, and the MRI of the pelvis reveals a T4N0 posterior rectal cancer with involvement of the distal sacrum. What are the elements in this case that would possibly make you suspect a Lynch syndrome? or hereditary colorectal cancer? Um, In this situation, we're faced with a 32-year-old patient. So I'd say the age of the patient is very important. um, And it could uh, lead us towards some form of hereditary disease. And uh, positive family history for colorectal cancer could also uh, indicate such a thing. But one should also search for advanced polyps or other malignancies, such as in the uterus, ovary, stomach, pancreas, small bowel, brain, etc., in the family, obviously, as these could be linked uh, to Lynch syndrome or HNPCC. Okay, so in other words, you'd want to have the, the family history associated with this patient. 
Yeah. And what you're saying is that you don't only look for colon cancer. Exactly. But there are other cancers uh, that we'll discuss later on. Exactly. Okay. So, in fact, this patient's uh, father had two colon cancers, one around the age of 40 and the second when he was uh, 60. Of course, in this case, we would suspect Lynch syndrome. So, Professor Dagbert, what is exactly Lynch syndrome? It's a very good question. Actually, Lynch syndrome is the most common cause of inherited colorectal cancer. It accounts for about 3% of all colon, colon and rectal cancer. And uh, it is an uh, autosomal dominant disorder with a variable penetrance, which is caused by a germline mutation in one of the DNA mismatch repair genes, commonly referred as to MMR. Uh, it can also be linked to the loss of expression of uh, a gene due to a deletion in the EPCAM gene, which is less common, though. So the, there are four common mismatch repair genes that are mutated or that we know that can uh, be associated with Lynch, Lynch syndrome, which are MLH1, MSH2, MSH6, and PMS2. And out of these, the MLH1 and MSH2 confers the highest risk of colorectal cancer. Basically, what, what happens uh, is that these genes usually maintains genomic integrity by correcting uh, any mismatches uh, when the, the DNA is uh, replicated. And when you have a germline mutation in one of these genes, Basically, uh, you have more uh, more errors during the replication, which leads to some form of, of cancer. Okay, so when would you suspect uh, Lynch syndrome, uh, Mahal? Um, so there's there are the Amsterdam two criteria that could be uh, used uh, when questioning a patient, and they could be remembered with the three two one rule. So uh, Amsterdam criteria go as follows. Um, first of all, three or more relatives uh, with an associated cancer, whether it's colorectal cancer or cancer of the endometrium, small intestine, ureter, or renal pelvis. Um, and one of them should be a first-degree relative of the other two. And then one needs to have two or more successive generations that are affected. And third of all, one or more relatives diagnosed before the age of 50. FAP should be excluded in cases of colorectal carcinoma, and tumors should be verified by pathologic examination whenever possible. That is correct, but you have to keep in mind that the sensitivity of the Amsterdam 2 criteria is only 20%, while the specificity is around 98% for the diagnosis of Lynch syndrome. Uh, obviously, with the uh, new generations with smaller families, these criteria have become a little bit less popular now because uh, a lot of people don't have many siblings. So these criteria are not always uh, reached. And uh, we are now also uh, usually screening pretty much every colon cancer for uh, the, the mismatch, mismatch repair genes or the satellite mic uh, the microcyclic instability. Uh, but it's important to keep in mind that these criteria still can be used to uh, distinguish families who don't have Lynch syndrome, but might have other uh, strong uh, hereditary risks. 
In fact, Lynch syndrome is commonly referred to as HNPCC, which is hereditary non-polyposis colon cancer. But HNPCC refers to patients who fulfill the Amsterdam criteria. And, uh, but a portion of these we will call Lynch syndrome. And this refers to patients where a germline mutation in one of the DNA mismatch repair genes or EPCAM genes is found. There are also um, the Bethesda criteria that were first published in 1997 and later updated in 2004. So they were originally developed to identify patients with colorectal cancer who should undergo tumor testing for MSI or microsatellite instability. Sorry. They were not meant to diagnose Lynch syndrome, but they are commonly used to suspect Lynch syndrome upon initial evaluation or trigger some form of genetic evaluation. Uh, the revised Bethesda criteria go as follows. Tumors from individuals should be tested for MSI in the following situations. One, colorectal cancer diagnosed in a patient who is less than 50 years of age. Two, presence of synchronous, metachronous, colorectal, or other HNPCC-associated tumors, regardless of age. Three, colorectal cancer with the MSI high histology diagnosed in a patient who is less than 60 years of age. Four, colorectal cancer diagnosed in one or more first-degree relatives with an HNPCC-related tumor, with one of the cancers being diagnosed under the age of 50. And lastly, colorectal cancer diagnosed in two or more first or second degree relatives with HNPCC-related tumors, regardless of age. Uh, okay. Um, in, in these criteria that you just uh, mentioned, you say that they should be tested for MSI. So what's the difference between testing MSI and immunohistochemistry? So IHC staining um, usually is performed for the proteins, um, and MSI refers mo more to the genetic testing. So patients who do not stain for certain proteins that are coded by the genes then necessitate genetic testing. But one must keep in mind that just because a protein is missing doesn't mean there is necessarily a microsatellite instability and a genetic mutation linked to Lynch syndrome. Okay, so we'll come back to our case. Our patient had a rectal cancer. He was 32 years old. So we treated the rectal cancer, and that was about 10 years ago. He had neoadjuvant uh, chemo rad, and he uh, required an EPR with a partial sacrectomy. And he recovered well from his surgery, and uh, his PATH report came back with a YPT4N0 with negative margin on the sacrum. So we were quite happy about that. Mm -hmm. So in his follow-up, he required annual colonoscopy because he was lynched, because his dad actually had two colon cancer. So um, we did, he had annual colonoscopy. And... Um, after eight years post-treatment uh, of his rectal cancer, uh, we found a, a kind of a small polyp that was uh, 1 or 1.5 centimeter in the left colon. And uh, this was removed. So, Matt, are there differences in polyp behavior? 
in uh, normal patients versus Lynch syndrome patients? Yeah, so if, uh, from what I understand from your question, I believe you're um, uh, referring to the adenoma carcinoma sequence, which is the classical sequence we see for most polyps, sporadic polyps to be uh, precise. But in patients with Lynch syndrome, they tend to present with polyps with an accelerated sequence. Um, and the adenomas are usually found to be larger, flatter, uh, and with a higher chance of high-grade dysplasia or villus pathology. Um, there's also an increased risk for synchronous and metachronous colorectal cancers. And 7% of patients with Lynch syndrome have more than one cancer at the time of diagnosis. Of their initial cancer. Exactly. This is a good example of why frequent colonoscopy evaluation of the colon is important in patients with Lynch, as significant polyps can develop in a short interval. The pathology report of this patient, which had the polyps eight years after his initial treatment, showed high-grade villus adenoma with, in fact, microfoci of intramucosal adenocarcinoma. The lesion was in contact with uh, the cauterized margin. He then underwent a chromoendoscopy. It demonstrated a few other small, small adenoma in the sigmoid, and one had, in fact, high-grade dysplasia. With the initial path, was it indicated to do a, another chromoendoscopy or...? Well, the, the patient had an intramucosal adenocarcinoma carcinoma with his first colonoscopy, which is basically a, a cancer inside too. And considering this, I think the patient could have underwent uh, colectomy uh, after obviously discussing the benefits and the risks associated with the procedure. But a chromoendoscopy could also help establish a better diagnosis and find other lesions which could be missed on standard colonoscopy and which could orient us to a better surgical planning. So I think this, this test was complementary but not necessary. Absolutely. Yep. So the patient was recommended to undergo a, a colectomy. So we did a formal total colectomy with an end ileostomy. And PATH report confirmed actually a T2N0 uh, invasive adenocarcinoma of uh, the left colon. And uh, again, immunohistochemistry analysis was performed on the specimen and showed absence of expression of MLH1 and PMS2. At this stage, can we confirm that this patient has Lynch? That's a great question, actually. And a lot of people get mixed up uh, with this situation, actually, basically what the IHC uh, staining refers to is that you test for the expression of the uh, MMR proteins in the tumor to see if the proteins are expressed normally or if they are not expressed normally. You can also test it on normal cells to see if it's expressed or not expressed. So if, if all the proteins are expressed, it usually means there is no germline mutation. But if one or two of the proteins are not expressed, it does not necessarily mean that there's a germline mutation. So especially with the MLH1 or PMS2, you have to go and look if there's a BRAF mutation 
or uh, uh, you can also check for the MLH1 hypermethylation. Uh, in most centers, they will do one or the other. Uh, they are pretty equivalent to find out. But if you have one of these two specific characteristics, most likely that cancer is sporadic. It's not caused by a germline mutation. If you don't have a BRAF mutation or if you don't have hypermethylation, then you have to do a germline mutation testing, a blood test for the patient to see if, his, uh, if there's a germline mutation in one of those genes. And if there's a germline mutation, then you can say the patient has Lynch syndrome. That's pretty complicated, but to, to summarize from what I understand, and I think I, I tried to answer that question before, I'm just going to repeat it again. IHC is staining for proteins. If a protein is missing, then one should further push the, the, the search for a germline mutation. But it doesn't mean there is a genetic mutation from, um, from when the patient is born. Okay, so let's say this patient has an IHC uh, uh, testing, which is normal, but you still have a, a, high, uh, a, high, a high suspicion level for uh, Lynch syndrome, what would you do? So if I have a high clinical suspicion for Lynch syndrome, despite normal pathology, it doesn't mean that the patient does not have Lynch syndrome. As we know, many patients who fall under the Amsterdam criteria that I mentioned previously, in other words, that are con considered HNPCC, will have negative IHC staining. But one should consider genetic evaluation and testing for these patients. That just places more emphasis on uh, clinical suspicion. Exactly. Exactly. And they will usually do uh, broad genetic testing because these patients with strong family history, sometimes they can have attenuated uh, FAP or, or, or MYH mutation. So it's not, it's not only the, um, the Lynch syndrome that they check. And uh, to, to add on that also, now, nowadays, most centers will do uh, what we call universal screening. So for all colorectal or endometrial cancer, the, the pathology should report on the uh, MMR status or the MSI status. That way you can identify about one in four cases of Lynch syndrome that would not be diagnosed only with the clinical criteria. That's basically what we do at the institution here for quite some time now. Yeah, we've been doing it for at least 15 years. So what is the usual recommended screening for patients with Lynch syndrome or HNPCC? Mm -hmm. So for patients with HNPCC, meaning those fulfilling Amsterdam criteria or those that are actually affected with Lynch syndrome, uh, colonoscopy has to be performed every year or two, beginning at the age of 20 to 25 or two to five years before the youngest age of diagnosis of colorectal cancer in the family if obviously the cancer occurred before the age of 25. An annual colonoscopy should be performed after resection of colon cancer in these patients. Coming back to my patient, he uh, has twins. And uh, his twins are now 13 years old. How do you handle the... This twin situation? <laughs> um, <laughs> So now that we know the patient has a confirmed germline germ mutation of MLH1 and PMS2, 
his children can be tested specifically for this mutation. And obviously, such genetic testing needs counseling before and after testing. So referral to a specialist in medical genetics is strongly recommended. If they are found to be carriers, meaning the children, they should be screened according to the Lynch syndrome follow-up routine that I mentioned earlier. If they don't have the mutation, their risk of lifetime colorectal cancer is comparable to the general population, and they can be screened according to those uh, normal guidelines, uh, as we know. I think it's also important to mention that this, like when you compare this to FAP, which occur even earlier, you can wait, you can delay a little bit this genetic testing until the patient's Uh, can actually decide and, and, and understand the implication of genetic testing. So we would generally wait until like 18 years old or something. If there's no earlier cancer mm -hmm. than 25. Yeah. So usually it's at the end of the teenage years mm -hmm. that these patients the... will be referred for um, genetic counseling and then possibly genetic testing. Yeah. So are there any special consideration for patients with Lynch syndrome and rectal cancer? Well, obviously these patients have a higher risk of developing uh, a cancer if we uh, leave some of the colon in, in situ, but it's not as uh, drastic as it can be with FEP, which is 100%. We usually, we will just treat the rectal cancer according to standard treatment. I mean, nowadays there may be more TNT uh, than just uh, chemo rads, but still it's a good option of treatment. And uh, we will generally not recommend a total proctocolectomy with or without a needle pouch unless they have multiple lesions that mandate some form of bigger resection. But if there's only a rectal cancer, we would treat it Uh, standard with uh, standard resection. Obviously, the follow-up afterwards will be different, uh, but the treatment of the rectal cancer will be according to standard practice. So Maya, if you had a patient, say, with a rectal cancer and he's uh, 28, mm -hmm. um, is there a place for a total proctocolectomy in a pouch? Not necessarily. Um... Why not? Because uh, having a total proctocolectomy is a more of a major operation wow. and could have perfect could have okay. impact on the yeah. functional outcome Because of the there patient. Are, there are functional issues uh, where quality of life with a pouch is quite different mm -hmm. from a a proctectomy, okay, a standard proctectomy, and we'll see a bit later on. But the message here is just to say that usually in Lynch syndrome, there's no indication of doing a prophylactic or even with a cancer to do a pouch. Mm -hmm. And also not only the functional results, but the morbidities associated with doing such a surgery. All right. I think that's a good take-home message for Lynch syndrome and rectal cancer. Uh, so let's jump to our second case now. Um, so you see in your office a 30-year-old female. In um, your office, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I see in my office. 
a 30-year-old female with a uh, actually a recently diagnosed Lynch syndrome on her mother's side. And so she went for a screening colonoscopy, which was the first one in her in her uh, history. And um, they actually diagnosed a small ulcer-like lesion in the right colon, uh, which really did not seem like much. Uh, but they did biopsy it, which, which was a, a great thing because that biopsy revealed an invasive adenocarcinoma. So she had a full extension workup, which it was negative. And actually, the CT scan doesn't even show a colonic mass. They can't even say that there's uh, something on imaging. CA levels are normal. This is actually a good example of easily missed invasive cancers in Lynch syndrome. So when doing a screening colonoscopy, you have to make sure that, uh, first of all, the the bowel prep is excellent, and that uh, you have to be extra vigilant um, in in looking for, I mean, minimal abnormalities. And if you do see anything that's abnormal, it requires biopsies, because in these patients, you can easily miss uh, small lesions that are, in fact, already cancers. And typically... There are flat polyps, small ulcers, and um, it, it's very important to be very meticulous in doing these colonoscopies. Well, in fact, you have to be meticulous for all, all colonoscopies. <laughs> but extra but for extra, the lymph syndrome that's ones. That's it. <laughs> all right. That's very important take-home point message here. Um, so how would you treat this patient, Maya? in terms of what would you recommend for the surgical treatment of her cancer, her yeah. right colon cancer? Yeah. Um, so standard surgical treatment of uh, colon cancers associated with Lynch syndrome would be total abdominal colectomy with an ileorectal anastomosis. If a patient is suspected to have Lynch syndrome, tumor testing on the suspected specimen should be performed on preoperative biopsy specimens, if possible, to make surgical planning easier. Although it's not necessary, um, this is spe specifically true for patients who would rather go with a segmental colectomy, and then after which a biopsy uh, confirms Lynch syndrome, so one would switch surgical planning to a uh, uh, total colectomy. Less, but, yeah. but, 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 wait a minute. Because if, like... If your patient is 30 years old and has a right colon cancer, I would say that independent of your biopsy, I mean, for sure, you've got adenocarcinoma proven. But wouldn't you say, Francois, that any patient who's 30 years old, you would recommend anyways a, a, a total colectomy? Yeah, you definitely have to consider that and you have to, like... Uh, speak thoroughly with your patient um, because they, whether they are Lynch syndrome or not, they are at high risk of developing another, another cancer, cancer in their next 30 years. Mm -hmm. yeah. and But obviously, sometimes if there is like a proven genetic defect, that can uh, motivate them to uh, undergo it. It, it could bring more to your, uh, to your discussion in, in trying to convince them. Uh, but 
some patients will not necessarily want a total colectomy, but my argument to these patients is in terms of functional outcome, there's not that much of a difference between a right colectomy and a subtotal colectomy. Mm -hmm. And there's not also a higher risk of complication between the two procedures. So I would tend to push in any patients that is younger than 40 mm -hmm. to undergo uh, a total colectomy. Yeah, especially that their uh, risk of developing a second cancer exactly. down the line yep. is up to like 40, 45% if you, if you leave the rest of the colon and it goes down to about 10% if that's you only it. leave the rectum in place. And that's a good argument for patients as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's true. Um, I don't know, in your practice, say you, uh, you end up diagnosing a patient who is a little bit older than the standard 30, 40-year-old patient and they would ask for a segmental colectomy Say they're 60 years old. I don't know if that happens in your practice. Would you would you still recommend a total abdominal colectomy, or would you go with a limited colectomy with follow up and uh, after surgery? Meaning, if that patient is 60 and has developed at age 60 a cancer that and ends up being it confirmed Lynch syndrome prior to yeah probably that I would recommend a, a subtotal total colectomy yeah okay probably. Yeah. If if they have some, if they have a, a, a if they don't have any have functional any issues, you know, you have to make sure that you have a good sphincter, yeah. and you know, you probably go on to doing an ileocig anastomosis mm -hmm. and maybe mm -hmm. not a true ileorectal, Rectal. and so uh, because it's mainly to decrease the length of remaining colon, you yep. know. So if you keep a little bit of sigmoid in these patients, absolutely, they definitely get a, a better function out of it. Exactly. Um, okay, so back to our case. Actually, I had that discussion with the patients for about like, I would say a good 45 minutes. And she was completely uh, closed in her mind and stubborn. She really only wanted to have a right colectomy. So I said, okay, think about it for a week or two. Call back and when you have the, the decisions and she stick with it. So, I mean, you still have to respect their Absolutely. decision. So, Absolutely. Uh, you, gonna... you did your job. You, you showed her the arguments in favor at her yeah. And then, I mean, you can't, you can't force her. And you have to respect the patient's decision. So, uh, she underwent uh, a laparoscopic right colectomy. Uh, she was discharged on post-op day three. Uh, everything went well. And her uh, final pathology report uh, was a, a PT1N1B with uh, two involved lymph nodes, actually, even with that small cancer. So uh, the uh, MLH1 and PMS2 uh, were uh, absent on IHC staining. And uh, actually on uh, evaluation, further evaluation, she had a germinal mutation of MLH1 gene. Um, so Dr. Richard, what would you recommend in terms of adjuvant therapy for this young uh, patient with uh, uh, stage 3 colon cancer? Well, the discussion, the discussion is interesting. We know that patients with Lynch uh, usually have a better prognostic than patients with sporadic colorectal cancer stage by stage. And in fact, 
you know, how usually in stage two traditional colon cancer, if we have high risk we probably will suggest a form of adjuvant uh, chemotherapy. But in fact, when we're dealing with Lynch syndrome and their stage two disease, independent of the risk factors, we usually will not recommend uh, adjuvant uh, chemotherapy in stage two. However, in patient with stage three, um, as in this case, adjuvant chemotherapy will be recommended and should be given to lower uh, the chances of uh, getting uh, further metastases over time. Okay, and what about uh, immunotherapy? Well, you know, we're in the era of immunotherapy and uh, it's currently only indicated in patients with known Lynch or MSI high tumors that are metastasic. So we're not yet there in terms of adjuvant treatment with immunotherapy. There are agents as a pembrolizumable who are now approved as first-line therapy, but again in metastatic disease, or a second line after failed chemo. So in this setting, the adjuvant therapy, there is no data to adding uh, immunotherapy. Not yet. Yeah, there's there's a randomized control study that is underway exactly. actually right now. Yeah, combining Folfox and 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 uh, pembrolizumab, but then we will only have the results of this in a few right. years. Right, exactly, and we know that usually Lynch syndrome will not respond as well to the traditional chemo, yeah. especially with the uh, uh, oxaliplatin. All right, so my. Is there anything else in this particular patient that you want to consider? Yeah. Um, so in this female patient, um, considering that she's a female and has a confirmed MLH1 Lynch syndrome, uh, I would obviously think of her risk of getting endometrial and ovarian cancer. So first, I would suggest a consultation with gynecology because her risk of developing endometrial cancer varies from 34 to up to 54% at an estimated average average age of 49. Sorry, did was she seen by guy? She was seen. They did a biopsy, it was negative. Okay. Obviously she she's 34 and she wants to have kids, so okay. we didn't Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was saying the risk could go up to 54% according to the NCC guidelines as opposed to a standard person from the general population who at the age of around 49 would have only a 3.1 uh, cumulative risk for diagnosis uh, of endometrial cancer. There's also the ovarian cancer to keep in mind, but that risk is a little bit lower and could go up to 20%. Mm -hmm. And since she will be undergoing surgery, uh, preoperative endometrial biopsy should be performed as it was performed in this patient. And hysterectomy should be completed at the time of surgery if a cancer is proven on biopsy. Okay. So, in fact, women should be educated regarding the importance of prompt reporting and evaluation of any abnormal uterine bleeding or postmenopausal bleeding in Lynch syndrome. 
And as mentioned, uh, this patient uh, starting the age between 30 and 35 should in fact be followed by a gynae team and get yearly or every two years an endometrial uh, biopsy. And also uh, ovarian cancer screening should be recommended by um, ultrasound again, starting at age 30 and 35. Now, as for prophylactic total hysterectomy and uh, ophorectomy, uh, it's been shown to reduce the incidence, naturally, of uh, such cancer. But when you look at the overall data, it doesn't kind of reduce the overall mortality rate in these patients. However, it should be discussed. And usually how it goes is that uh, if patient like your young patient uh, has, uh, of course, is not menopause and has not finished having her family, uh, will not go on to discussing a prophylactic hysterectomy. Usually this occurs when either you have a patient a female patient that has finished having her family, and in that case, then prophylactic hysterectomy can be considered and should, in fact, be discussed. And in terms of the ovaries, usually we'll recommend to remove the ovaries, especially in postmenopausal, because you wouldn't want to induce, induce a menopause in exactly. a woman. So you have to be careful about these recommendations. And if they have a colon cancer and they are operated for their colon cancer and they're done with their family, if they still have their uterus, you should remove Absolutely. it at the same time. Yes. Okay. So, I, I mean, in, in female patients with Lynch syndrome, I think it's, it's important to uh, mention that endometrial cancer is at least as as important uh, in terms of uh, risk reduction uh, than colon cancer. Absolutely. Uh, especially in the patient with MSH6. That's it. Uh, Depending mutation. on the gene uh, deletion, certain will have a higher chance of having endometrial cancer than the colon cancer itself. Okay, so we talked about colon cancer. We talked about also uh, endometrial and ovarian cancers. But... François, uh, give us kind of an uptake on other type of cancers that can be associated with Lynch. So, so basically, although less prevalent, uh, gastric cancer uh, can be associated with Lynch, and uh, it's recommended that the patient undergo at least a baseline gastroscopy. And uh, for in terms of follow-up, there's no clear recommendation if they should have follow-up gastroscopies. Uh, unless they have uh, a family member that had a gastric cancer. In this case, they should be followed also with uh, uh, upper GI scope. Uh, the other cancer that can be associated with uh, Lynch syndrome is the uh, renal cancer. And these as well, there's no strong recommendation in terms of follow-up for these patients, uh, unless they have a family uh, member who was affected by such a cancer. And if screening is uh, deemed necessary, then they could have annual urine analysis uh, or renal scan that can be performed uh, every one or two years. Okay. So really, it shows how 
complicated Lynch can be, but it also uh, makes it such that as surgeons, we really have to be aware of all these particularities associated with Lynch because uh, often we'll be the, the first to diagnose and encounter these uh, patients and we'll have to counsel them as such. Yeah. All right. And uh, one last point, uh, Maher, what do you think about uh, using aspirin uh, in terms of uh, prevention for mm -hmm. cancer in these patients? Do you really have a thought on that? Well, I, I do have a thought on that, but uh, it's not necessarily a firm thought, if I may say. Individuals with Lynch syndrome, they are at risk of having a future colorectal cancer. I, I believe they, taking aspirin should be considered to reduce their future risk of colorectal cancer. I won't get into the, uh, the details of why and how, uh, but according to the ASCRS guidelines, for example, Uh, aspirin intake uh, is recommended, although one has to keep in mind that there is no standard dosage that is recommended to patients. And a recent trial uh, from JAMA demonstrated that patients uh, taking up to 600 milligrams per day have a lower risk of cancer. But 600 milligrams is still a considerable dose. And for patients, this could be a lot, especially with their uh, risk of bleeding. So there are there is some data. It is part of the guidelines, but this has to be discussed, and the dose is not very clear. Okay, so uh, these two cases really highlight the complexity of managing patients with colorectal cancer associated with Lynch syndrome. Hopefully, we've cleared that up <laughs> a little bit. So you have a few take-home message. Yeah. So for our um, listeners out there, microsatellite instability is not specific for Lynch syndrome. 15% of sporadic colorectal cancers and 5 to 10% of metastatic colorectal cancers demonstrate microsatellite instability because of hypermethylation of MLH1. That's number one. Number two, germline sequencing of the mismatch repair gene remains the gold standard for confirming the diagnosis of Lynch syndrome. Number three, universal screening of colorectal cancer specimens should be performed and is recommended according to many guidelines. Four, colorectal with ileorect uh, colectomy sorry, with ileorectal anastomosis is the primary treatment for colon cancer associated with Lynch syndrome. Screening colonoscopy should be routine, routinely performed every year or two starting at the age of 20 to 25 for patients with known Lynch syndrome or a family history of Lynch syndrome and no genetic screening available while post-colectomy annual colonoscopies should be performed in patients that already developed colorectal cancer. And lastly, the most common extracolonic manifestation of Lynch syndrome is endometrial cancer, and appropriate gynecologic counseling is required. So, from all of us yeah. to you, Adaptation! Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.